All right, you guys. How's it going? Yeah, welcome to my show. It's the Scott Horton Show. All right. Uh, today on the show, Sheldon Richmond is going to be on to talk about, well, I don't want to spoil it, interesting things. You could spoil it for yourself if you just go and look at his blog, SheldonRichmond.com. Uh, yeah. And then I had an invite or two out, eh, waiting to hear back. I really, uh, I always do a, l- a lousy job on Fridays these days because, uh, I always do Ernie's show, the one that comes on right before this one, here on LRN. And, uh, and then so I need to really hustle to get the show together since I spend an hour not getting the show together in the morning. But, uh, I don't. And so, Kind of lagging behind. I really wanted to read this one before I send the invite out. Seems like it might be interesting. The long shadow of the Gulf War. Iraq War One. Um But uh I didn't get a chance to read it yet, so I'll have to wait till next week maybe. Yeah, it was interesting seeing uh Bush Sr. at the debate last night. I wonder if it occurs to him at all that, geez, they're still fighting in Iraq, the mess I made. At all. I mean, he's basically as dumb as Junior or Jeb. He always was kind of a dumb ass back then. I mean, the joke was that he, uh, I had only brought on Dan Quayle to be his vice president just to make him look smart. Because Quayle was so stupid. But H.W. Uh, Bush, he was pretty much just the W. Bush of his day. This will not be another Vietnam. Promise. It'll be quick and easy and you'll all tie yellow ribbons to your trees. Um, yeah, well, that was 25 years ago. Been bombing them ever since. There was a two-year hiatus there in 2012 and 13 when the U.S. was not bombing them. But then 14 started again. So, 25 years. Anyway, so, did you guys see the debate last night? I watched most of it, I guess. Um... I don't know what difference it makes. It doesn't make much difference. I very much doubt that the poll numbers are going to move either way anyway. So, who cares? I guess the only interesting thing in it, to me, was um, Trump really saying good stuff about the Iraq and Libya war. I mean, the what's funny is he's lying. He says he was against the Libya war. But they got quotes. They got video of him. In fact, I guess I could have had that queued up. Who cares? Whatever. Back in 2011, he came out very strongly for war in Libya, was demanding war in Libya, was complaining what is taking so long for Obama to start this thing to go save those people. Donald Trump, he sounded just like Anne-Marie Slaughter back in 2011. And then last night... Cruz called him out on it. He says, 
Oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's not true. You're a liar, liar. And uh, I'm sure it is. Cruz said, it'll be up on my website tomorrow. I'm sure it's up there. Because all I did was Google Trump Libya, and there it is. It was from last month. The guys at um, BuzzFeed went and found two different interviews where he came out very strongly for the Libya war. Anyway, in a sense, it kind of sort of doesn't matter uh, for the point that I'm making. It does matter. But for the point that I'm making, it doesn't matter, which is he outright condemned regime change operations in Iraq and Libya, and he didn't get into Syria, I think just because, well, it wasn't really a regime change, right? It was only a half a one. It was only an attempted, failed, complete cluster F of a uh, sort of one. So it's too complicated to explain in a soundbite or whatever, but, it, you know, he said as far as Saddam Hussein and Muammar Gaddafi, they're bad guys, but they killed terrorists. And what's funny is, about that, well, the funny part of it was he said, we would be better off if all our politicians would just take the day off instead of starting wars. Hey, man, all right. That's pretty good. In fact, that sounds a little bit like Lou Rockwell on this show, saying, hey, I propose we pay all government employees to go on vacation to the Bahamas forever. I don't care. Let them have a nice time. <laughs> Just leave us the hell alone, please. I could buy that. I could see that. It would be a lot cheaper than paying for all the destruction that they wage. A lot cheaper. Um, so that's a pretty good line. Especially, you know, for the front runner in a Republican campaign to use. It's too bad that he's such a flipper flopper and hypocrite. And it's too bad that his default is, yeah, kill, so that when these questions come up back in history, he was bad on them. He actually did support the Iraq war. He did support the Libya war. And at this point, I guess I wouldn't be surprised if they found quotes of him saying, yeah, Obama needs to hurry up and get rid of Assad. Has anybody looked for that yet? He's claimed to be against that all along. Uh, but then he turns around and says, oh, yeah, no, we should have a safe zone. We should carve out a big, nice, safe zone in Syria for all the refugees to go there. Which, of course, we all know that when Jeb and Hillary say that, they mean, well, Jeb's gone now, but you understand what I mean. When Rubio and Hillary say safe zone, they mean invade Syria. That's what that means. <laughs> Our only consolation is... Well, maybe Donald doesn't know what he's saying is that he wants to invade Syria. But is that really better? And anyway, point being, I guess, as always, that too bad Rand sucks so bad. If he had staked out a hardcore anti-war position, he could still be in the race right now. I mean, he would still lose in the end. But he was too afraid to stand up for peace. Well, maybe he's just horrible and doesn't favor it. But anyway, there Donald Trump is up there going, Are you kidding me? You're telling me? He said absolutely the world would be 100% better off if Gaddafi and Saddam were still there. And of course, that's mostly true. And now here's another part of the punchline is on Twitter, all the neocons go, Oh, Donald Trump! 
is avowedly pro-Qaddafi. That's a Jeffrey Goldberg, Commissar Goldberg. He's avowedly pro-Qaddafi and Saddam. Well, actually, no. He didn't say anything about supporting them. He just said that we shouldn't have invaded and overthrown their governments. You see how with Jeffrey Goldberg and a lot of these guys, it wasn't just him, a lot of the neocons, the default position for every government is invasion and occupation by the United States. And to fail to do so is to conspire with any government in the world to continue existing. It is the same. To, to fail to invade and conquer and overthrow and occupy a country is to support its current dictatorship. That's the same thing to these guys. Now, of course, the Ron Paul position always is, nobody knows what Rand Paul's positions are on anything, but the Ron Paul position, of course, is that we should not back dictators in the Middle East. That's what got us attacked by these terrorists in the first place. And no, we shouldn't back the terrorists overthrowing the dictators we used to support either. For Christ's sake, just knock it off. I know, we're getting really esoteric here and, you know, really kind of fancy, higher-level thinking. What if we didn't back suicide bombers or military dictators, guys? What if we just put our government on vacation and kept them there? Hey, I'll Scott Horton here. Are you a libertarian and or peacenik? Live in North America? If you want, you can hire me to come and give a speech to your group. I'm good on the terror war and intervention, civil liberty stuff, blaming Woodrow Wilson for everything bad in the world, Iran, central banking, political realignment, and, well, you know, everything. I can teach markets to liberals and peace to the right. Just watch me. Check out scotthorton.org slash speeches for some examples and email me, scott at scotthorton.org, for more information. See you there. Hey, I'm Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new book by Michael Swanson, The War State. In The War State, Swanson examines how Presidents Truman, Eisenhower, and Kennedy both expanded and fought to limit the rise of the new national security state after World War II. If this nation is ever to live up to its creed of liberty and prosperity for everyone, we are going to have to abolish the empire. Know your enemy. Get The War State by Michael Swanson. It's available at your local bookstore or at Amazon.com in Kindle or in paperback. Just click the book in the right margin at scotthorton.org or thewarstate.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Yeah. It's basically just anti-war radio, you know? I don't know. Goes by different names. Um, Yeah, so, hey, man, I'm in the chat room. You guys could join up the chat room. Scotthorton.org slash chat. All you need is a fake name and a CAPTCHA, and you're in there. ScottHorton.org slash chat. And, you know, I don't know. It's Friday. Maybe you have a different work schedule, and you can join up the chat room today, unlike usual. Today's Friday, right? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. Uh, yeah, ScottHorton.org slash chat. Otherwise, uh, also, it's a uh, IRC free node chat room called hashtag ScottHortonShow. So channel is Freenode, I think, and or IRC. I don't know. IRC, Freenode, Scott Horton Show. Hashtag Scott Horton Show. Uh, also, you can follow me on Twitter, at Scott Horton Show there. Um, yeah, man. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Trump. Uh, I saw a quote from Chomsky the other day saying, yeah, you know, uh, this is... Um, 
we're we're going through times that are just like when Hitler came to power or something. Reducto ad Hitler was it the Godwin's Law? Every political debate will always end up with uh, someone comparing something to Hitler, and then the conversation completely breaks down. And who cares? Which is unfortunate because there were supposed to be real lessons learned from Germany's adoption of National Socialism and the consequences, huh? Huh? Uh, the point of it being that, uh, yeah, uh, Noam Chomsky's right. When people are upset and feeling desperate, then they're more likely to, you know, buy into the appeal of demagogues who promise that all they got to do is hurt the right people and they'll feel better. <laughs> you know, it works on people. And the thing is that, no, we're not living in the Weimar Republic. Things were much worse for the people of Germany in the 20s and 30s. Um, you know, post-World War One Germany uh, compared to this. But then again, eh. You know, Americans, we like hyperbole. <laughs> we like overreacting to the littlest things, so it doesn't have to be that bad, right? We don't have to necessarily have armies of communists and fascists fighting in the streets and, you know triple-digit inflation and, you know, whatever kind of nonsense um, for people to just get radicalized. And here's the point. Uh, Ludwig von Mises says, the middle of the road leads to socialism. Right? Or was that Hayek? I think that was uh, Mises said that. And the point of that, and you could... For our purposes, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about left or right socialism. The road to serfdom is the, the same serfdom at the end, whether you take the left or the right fork in the road. Um, but the point of it is that statism, that government, doesn't work. It doesn't work. And when society buys into politicians, uh, you know proposals, endless proposals for re-engineering society this way and that, the way that they like, the system starts to break down. What the system needs to work, and I mean not the corrupt evil system we hate, but the human systems of interaction and freedom and, uh, well, you know, wants and needs being fulfilled by each other and this and that. What that needs to work is freedom. And the more... We let government take control of aspects of our society and aspects of the economy, the less well those things work, by and large. There are exceptions in small areas, you might argue. But by and large, all they do is screw everything up. And then what happens is somebody like Trump comes along, somebody like Augustus Palpatine comes along and says, geez, the government isn't working right. Everything is all mixed up and messed up, and there's corrupt interests and bureaucrats and all these people ruining everything. What we need is a strong leader who can control the executive branch and make it deliver on the things that we promised. Make it do the stuff that everybody believes it's supposed to do. Because, hey, a weak leader isn't getting it done. The problem must be that he's, oh, and who could really call Obama weak as an, as far as executive power goes? I mean, he makes Bush look like Nixon. Um, but still, um, 
he just must not be strong enough. But Donald Trump, boy, he promises that, yeah, the bureaucrats are going to do what he says, and the results of them doing what he says is going to work out, and he's going to win every time. We're going to all win. And people buy that. It makes sense in a very superficial way. If you've already bought the false premise that we need government to order our society. This is why Ron Paul had such an uphill battle. Ron Paul was saying, listen, the democracy has decided wrong every time for 300 years straight, whatever. Go back to before the Constitution, they were doing wrong. We don't need a a bunch of governments to make everything right. We just need freedom. We don't need strong leadership to order the regulations in a way that best suits consumer protections and desires. We just need the market. That doesn't mean let business regulate themselves. That means let customers regulate the businesses instead of the bureaucrats who, of course, work for them. Anyway, now when Mises said middle of the road leads to socialism, he's really talking about prices. Government intervention will drive up prices and drive up prices to the point, and healthcare is the perfect example, where you end up saying, I can't pay these prices. Government, you have to become the third single payer, third party payer, because you made it all so expensive. What am I supposed to do? Lay down and die now? In the middle of the road leads to socialism. But it's just the same thing with all of their interventions, everything they do just ends up making matters worse and worse. And so, uh, you know, counterproduct- in a counterproductive sense. And unlike in business, government thrives from failure. If they solve the problems that they claim they're confronting, then they put themselves out of business. They don't want that. They want to stay there. And, you know, never mind they can't really figure out, they don't have pricing mechanisms to figure out what works and what doesn't in any real sense anyway. But then even no matter how hard they're trying, whether they're trying to succeed or fail, no matter how hard they fail, they're still the very same ones in charge of fixing whatever problem that they create. Um, and so it's just more power for them. You know, the government controls and quote-unquote owns all the rivers, allow corporations to dump you know, carcinogens straight into the water supply, and then they say, oh, yeah, look, only we can protect you from the poisons in the river when they're the ones who allowed it to be polluted in the first place. That's just one of 10 million examples. I'm sure you can think of all the rest in the next four minutes till we get back from this break. Hey, I'll Scott Horton here for Liberty.me, the great libertarian social network. They've got all the social media bells and whistles. Plus, you get your own publishing site and there are classes, shows, books and resources of all kinds. And I host two shows on Liberty.me. I on the Empire with Liberty.me's Chief Liberty Officer Jeffrey Tucker every other Tuesday. And The Future of Freedom with FFF founder and president Jacob Hornberger every Thursday night, both at 8 Eastern. When you sign up, add me as a friend on there. ScottHorton.Liberty.me. Be free. Liberty.me. Hey, y'all. Scott Horton here for WallStreetWindow.com. Mike Swanson knows his stuff. He made a killing running his own hedge fund and always gets out of the stock market before the government-generated bubbles pop. Which is, by the way, what he's doing right now. Selling all his stocks and betting on gold and commodities. Sign up at WallStreetWindow.com and get real-time updates from Mike on all his market moves. It's hard to know how to protect your savings and earn a good return in an economy like this. Mike Swanson can help. Follow along on paper and see for yourself. WallStreetWindow.com 
All right, y'all, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. Uh, Sheldon's coming on here in a while to talk about some things. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, question in the chat room. Please explain how Trump is any worse than Rubio or Cruz. I can't do that. Uh, I don't believe that he is. I mean, in certain ways, maybe. Overall, no, they're equivalent evil. Um, he might even be slightly less evil on some of the things, you know, that are important to me, like... It's possible that his ego is so big he's not going to let Netanyahu push him around the way everybody else does. A little, maybe. That would be part of it, kind of. Um, I think, you know, it's not really true by his enemies, you shall know him. I think that, uh, as he proclaimed last night, he'll be horrible on Israel. But if you look at what the neocons on uh, Twitter say, boy, are they concerned. Did you, did you see the National Review? I mean, if if being hated by the National Review is the measure of a man's honor, then I guess Donald Trump is probably the best of all of us. Uh, although I, I don't think that's true. <laughs> but, you know, you can see what their problem is, is they are not confident that they own his ass. Now, Hillary Clinton, there's somebody a Kagan can count on. I think they came out with their official endorsement today, uh, Robert Kagan, but... Um, who's nothing but Bill Crystal? Who's nothing but uh, Victoria Newland's wife? Uh, but anyway, um, he's been saying he likes Hillary for a long time because, of course, you know she's exactly like him in every way. Uh, the Kagans—they're the the horrifyingly wrong leading theoreticians of American empire. You may be f- quite familiar. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, but see, so here's what I really don't like about Trump is that uh, I don't think he's even really familiar with the concept that there's such a thing as the rule of law and that his power would be bound by. It. Now, that doesn't make him different from Rubio at all. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think as far as Trump is concerned, maybe in a little bit more scary way. The Constitution says there can be a president and he can do things, <laughs> you know, like the National Security Act of 1947. The CIA shall do things from time to time that, you know, they pretty much feel like <laughs> or whatever. And that's the, well, man, see, I'm getting into Sheldon's interview already here, aren't I? Uh, that's the way he looks at the Constitution as an unlimited writ of authority to do pretty much anything. I doubt if he's ever read the Bill of Rights is even really familiar with it or what it's supposed to mean or anything at all. I doubt he has. You know, last night he was talking about his sister, the federal judge, signed a bill rather than wrote an opinion. Right? He doesn't know even ninth grade civics stuff here. I mean, it's sort of a slip of the tongue, a figure of speech or whatever, but still, I mean, she signed a bill? Come on. Um, anyway, I, that's kind of a problematic problem coupled with not just necessarily in and of itself. It doesn't make him that much different than everyone else, but coupled with his avowed intent to abuse the politically powerless, you know, I love watching him punk Jeb Bush. 
and there's nothing in the world I love more, I don't think, than watching Trump punk Jeb Bush. You do my dishes like I asked you to? Bring me a beer. I mean, that's funny stuff to me. Maybe not to you, but to me, I love it. But picking on Mexicans and picking on Muslims, um, I don't, man, the whole threatening the China thing, I think, is just business and bluster. It doesn't really mean much. It doesn't really threaten Chinese Americans or anything like that. But his willingness to, you know, and I think he'll ultimately he'll back down from this, but his willingness to proclaim that, like, you're damn right, we're going to round up 11 or 12 million papers less Mexicans and other uh, Latin Americans and deport them. I mean, when was the last time you saw 12 million people rounded up? What's America supposed to look like at the end of that? And what are the new police hired to enforce it going to do when they're done? These are, you know, this is, I appreciate the whole outsider status thing. I really do. Um, as I was saying on one of these shows, I can't keep them straight anymore. I think I said yesterday on the show, I don't think there's anyone else in American life who could do this, who's got the money, who's got the bravado to come from the private sector straight into a presidential campaign and win it, which I'm, I think is basically a fait accompli at this point. Um, you know, so it's a real kind of a black swan sort of a thing. But what his presidency is going to be like, man, I don't know, dude. You know, if he's willing to flip-flop around and say, yeah, safe zone in Syria, just with a shrug, because it sounds good, I think he'd be willing to actually invade Syria. Because that's the thing that he decided to do. Which, again, makes him exactly like Rubio, not worse than him. So, but, you know, that's the whole thing. And, it, you know, people always take... I'm not saying chat room guy necessarily meant it this way, but people always take a, an attack on any politician as de facto support for whoever is their opponent. But that's not the way I look at it, where it's all zero-sum game. I don't have to support anyone. People ask me almost daily, well, who to support then? No one. Support freedom. Support undermining your friends and neighbors' belief in the state. As a great bumper sticker once said, demand total liberty. You might get to keep a little bit. It's a Hegelian dialectic thing, you know? All right, so anyway, that's my point of view on all that. Um, don't support any of them. You know, uh, Gareth said to me last night, I was going to say at the exact same time, it was like jinx, you owe me a Coke kind of thing, that you know who Trump is? He's Huey Long. For good and for ill. He's Huey Long. And then, so now the question is, go back, think about it. Uh, obviously, it never came to this because he got shot. But if he hadn't, would he have really been worse than FDR? The great dictator, president for life, Roosevelt? It's hard to imagine that Huey Long could have been worse than FDR. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, Yeah, he's, he's Huey Long for... For what it means this way and that. Um, 
And and oh, here's the question. I'm sorry, I should be keeping a better eye on the chat room here. Um, I don't think he's a real puppet. I mean, I do think. See, he's the kind of compromiser where I think that once he gets in there, I think his first day on off. And I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I can't remember what I say what to anymore these days. But I think his first day in office, he's going to call in the generals and the admirals and the spies, and he's going to say, look, guys, you can do whatever you want. Just let me know, okay? Shake hands, and and what's he going to (laughs) do? Really, you know, overthrow the national security state? It is nice to hear him even mention the military-industrial complex and all of that. Uh, Is he alpha male enough to really be independent from all what Roosevelt wrought, I just can't see it, man. I just can't see it. And then again, you know, look at his stance on Apple, right? If it was him, it would be, look, I'm not asking you, I'm telling you, and I don't care what the judge says, you're going to do it, or I'm just going to send my men with guns there because I said so, and then that's it. I could see him doing that, right? What process? What judge? I'm not waiting for some judge. You trying to tell me no? I'll show you. That is going to be the uh, the motif of the entire Trump administration for all eight years of it, I'm pretty sure. Hey, I'll check out the audiobook of Lou Rockwell's Fascism versus Capitalism, narrated by me, Scott Horton, at audible.com. It's a great collection of his essays and speeches on the important tradition of liberty. From medieval history to the Ron Paul Revolution, Rockwell blasts our status enemies, profiles our greatest libertarian heroes, and prescribes the path forward in the battle against Leviathan. Fascism versus Capitalism by Lou Rockwell for audiobook. Find it at Audible, Amazon, iTunes, or just click in the right margin of my website at scotthorton.org. Hey, all Scott Horton here to tell you about this great new ebook by longtime future freedom author Scott McPherson. Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. This is the definitive principled case in favor of gun rights and against gun control. America is exceptional. Here the people come first, and we refuse to allow the state a monopoly on firearms. Our liberty depends on it. Get Scott McPherson's Freedom and Security, the Second Amendment and the Right to Keep and Bear Arms on Kindle at Amazon.com today. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. They're talking politics here, basically. Good conversation going on in the chat room. Got Sheldon Richmond coming up. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's do some phone calls, man. If you guys want to do some phone calls, the call-in number is 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. And we already got one caller on the line. I think we're probably talking about Trump here, but uh, Open Line Friday, Limbaugh style and all that, if you guys want whatever you want to talk about or ask me about or whatever it is. Oh, and let me mention real quick, um, I was on the Tom Woods show. And I'm not that happy with it, honestly. Thinking back, too many run-on sentences. Just, I promised him I was going to try to make it very simple as best I could to explain. I didn't. I think I failed. But anyway, you might like it. I don't know. It's me trying to explain Syria to Tom. Uh, the Tom Woods show there. And, and thanks again for him having me on. And yes, we are writing a book together. The, the, um, I'll, I'll update y'all on that actually. Uh, the proposal is done. I wrote it. Then Tom rewrote it which is, I think, going to be the plan for the book, too. Um, and it's now been sent out to I don't know who, and we're going to find out something at some point. That's all I know. Okay. Um, so, whoever you are, you're on the air. Welcome. 
Hey, Scott. It's uh, Fitz from San Francisco. How are you doing? Hey, Fitz. How you doing, man? I'm good. Not too bad. Well, I didn't have any any incredible insight or anything on on Trump and all, but just I was thinking. Well, and this it might just be my uh, my trying to think of the best best possible uh, possibilities here. Sure. Is that he's you know the whole bluster showman stuff. I mean that he's really not like that. And I've heard this. I've got some family that that you know lived and worked in New York for twenty plus years and has done and knows a lot of folks who have worked with him. And that the word is, I mean, when he does a billion project, I mean it is on time. I mean just meets all his marks and everybody's everybody works with is happy with it. I mean, so I think he's he's definitely professional beyond all the bluster and everything like that. And so I'm hoping, you know, he just can't his ego can't help, you know, let himself be a showman in front of the camera. But behind the scenes, I mean, he really is a you know just a hardworking, you know, well, yeah, at least a you know, diligently working working person and confident, you know, which is certainly better than uh, well the W and, and you know what what we got now. Right. But the um, so that's my hope, at least. And I'm thinking, you know, the big problem will be, you know, a lot of it's just he's going to—he's completely ignorant of foreign policy and other things, and you know, the stuff where. And so I'm hoping he'll get pushback, you know, or he'll get some long explanations from the Joint Chiefs and other folks if he does try to come in and say, "Oh, I want to invade there, or I want to invade there." Hopefully he'll get okay. Here's the way things work. You know, this is what you're going to need, and this is what we can do and can't do. And so hopefully he'll he'll have a good learning curve in this first term. That's what I'm hoping. I guess the big the big question will be on who his Justice Department is, because we saw how Bush, you know, or at least the underlings of Bush, you know, the neocons basically just allows. Okay, here's who we need to be able to get to get away with all the evil we want without having to worry about punishment. I mean, so that's because uh, I think you know I think he's completely Trump's pretty ignorant of, of all this other stuff, and so I think it's it's going to tell a lot on who he uh, looks to for guidance on this stuff. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing of it is you know when he talks about. Well, he he said that, and he, at least he has a healthy distrust for neocons. So that's a, that's a good point from the start, at least it looks like. Yeah, well, or at least for their point of view, I don't know. I mean, he said that. Uh, well, I really like uh, John Bolton. There's the kind of guy I could get along oh, with. Oh, he did. Okay. With. I did so, <laughs> yeah, I think he reminds me of W in that way, where he hadn't bothered to figure out who and what's a neocon and who ain't yet. I mean, to you and me, this is all important. Uh, you know, set of distinctions that people have got to wrap their heads around. I don't think he even knows that this is something really important. There's a there's a reason that Max Boot hates you, and it ain't because he loves Mexicans, yeah. okay? You know? Yeah, well, at the very least, I think uh, a Trump presidency will at least... It'll take the this stupid aura away from the presidency. This guy, like, oh my gosh, though the revered presidency. It'll at least get people to thinking, oh, well, Trump can do it. You know, anybody can. You know, it'll at least take away the uh, you know this this aura that the presidency had, which I think is a good thing. So, yeah. Now, and that could be a silver lining, but you know, Romano always talks about um, the. Uh, the lesson of the socialist, which of course he's all pro-Trump now, basically, but so maybe it doesn't apply. But the socialist um, argument in uh, the uh, in Germany of the early 30s was that we don't want to work with the communists because, or I guess maybe it was the communist argument about working with the socialists. We don't want to work with them, uh, even if Hitler wins out now, because after Hitler, us. And of course, yeah, that was true. But then look at what they went through. And then the communists only got the East, and then they were under the domination of Russia the whole time. And it wasn't quite their daydream, after all. <laughs> they should have made their alliance and stopped them when they had the chance. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm just trying to look, you know, look at this realistically. I mean, Lord knows I'm not going to vote for any of them, but it just, it seems, you know, he seems a lot better than Hillary, who, who I think is pure evil. So I just, yeah. uh, Well, and, you and, know, this is part I, of I my just, thing, too, is I don't really have to take much of a stand on this because, t- in my eyes, He's already 
one. I mean, it's just I don't believe oh, yeah. if if she defeats Donald Trump in the general election, it will be either because I am an absolute idiot and I have no idea what world I live in. Or because something really bad happens. Like, it turns out that this lawsuit 30 years ago about the attempted rape is a real big thing. Or he calls somebody the N-word. Even that, I think, he might survive. Um, but, you know, yeah. other than a real black swan type new event taking place or, or old skeleton uh, being unburied or something like that, I can't ima- I cannot picture a situation where she wins this presidency. She's just yeah. That, well, that would no be way. the one the one true joy of this of election night is that you know just get, hopefully you know things go how I think they will of getting Hillary's uh, Hillary's like basically lifetime ambition ever since she graduated Yale Yale Law School. I'm sure she was determined and knew that she was going to be president someday. Just seeing those hopes dashed, I think that'll be in the. the I truth. know. Man. Yeah, exactly. Just like John McCain, too. You know, like, yep, you'll never yep. be a higher rank than your father, or your grandfather, you scumbag. <laughs> you know, which is the only hey, thing well, he wanted. Thank God. I appreciate the great show. Hey, thank you very much for calling in, dude. Appreciate it. Like talking with you. Um, oh, somebody asked in the chat room, does anybody know who his foreign policy advisors are? He doesn't have any, but he said just the other day, somebody asked him at the, uh, a week ago, I guess it was the press conference of a week ago. They asked him, uh, who's giving you advice? And he said, I don't want to say yet because in about a week, <clears throat> it's been about a week. He said, in about a week, I'm, we're going to announce the whole team. Now, he may have just been making that up. <laughs> I, mean, I have no idea. He could have seriously just been bluffing at that point. But that was what he said was why he didn't want to answer was because he wanted to answer all at once that these are all of his advisors. So. We'll see. And, you know, look, being a smart businessman, he's going to have to have a couple of neocons in there, right? Or he's just going to announce right now that anybody that Bill Crystal likes is off limits? No way. So um, that's not good business. Um, you know, so anyway, uh, I guess we'll see. It, you got to admit, you know, there's there is enough of that little de-democracy in the American system that this is possible. I mean, not really. It takes it only only somebody like Trump could make it possible, I guess. But and they really can't cancel the election or anything. <laughs> I guess they could try to thwart it all with the electoral college. And you know, Rubio was saying, "Well, I think the guy that gets second place in the most primaries in caucuses, well, he should be the one that gets the nomination." <laughs> what? I wonder if somebody should ask him. Is that what you're going to say if you have the most victories after Super Tuesday and what have you? Are you going to still say that Trump should win if he's in second place? Or what the hell are you talking about? Second place should win. They're going to try. That just goes to show the mindset. There's a real panic. You know, the National Review, I thought this was funny. Oh, if anybody else wants to call in, it's uh, 512-271-4836. We'll try to take some calls for Sheldon maybe, too. Um But uh, I was reading the National Review. They have another Stop Trump issue of the National Review. Uh, This one um, is uh, – we need a GOP Manhattan Project to come up with a new way to solve this Trump problem. And then all their pretended complaints are, oh, he's mean to Mexicans and, oh, he's mean to Muslims. This is the National Review writing. Oh, he's bad on all of the exact same stuff as us, they cry. He must be stopped. And, of course, you know, what they're really afraid of is that they can't control him. That Well, when I say the National Review, I mean 
Israel's fifth column in the United States, Jonah Goldberg, and uh, the rest of the parroting puppet scum on top, parroting puppet gangster slaves. Yes, that that um, that's not original. I Francis E. Dick. Um, these these idiots. And then here's what's funny. Their argument. I read this one guy. I can't for I can't remember his name. But uh, he wrote the big anti-Trump article in the National Review. And the argument is that he doesn't pay his taxes. That's what they're attacking him for. Jonah Goldberg attacking him on Twitter for not taking the side of the IRS, the Republican establishment and the conservative movement, siding with the IRS against a businessman, taxpayer. All these tax parasites attacking a taxpayer for not coughing up enough. Yeah, that's really going to fly in a Republican primary. Hey, Al Scott here. If you're like me, you need coffee. Lots of it. And you probably prefer it taste good, too. Well, let me tell you about Darren's Coffee Company at DarrensCoffee.com. Darren Marion is a natural entrepreneur who decided to leave his corporate job and strike out on his own, making great coffee. And Darren's Coffee is now delivering right to your door. Darren gets his beans direct from farmers around the world. All specialty, premium grade, with no filler. Hey, the man just wants everyone to have a chance to taste this great coffee. DarrensCoffee.com. Use promo code SCOTT and you get free shipping. DarrensCoffee.com. Hey, Al Scott Horton here for MPV Engineering. This isn't for all of you, but for high-end contractors specializing in industrial construction and end-users who own and operate industrial equipment, MPV offers licensed professional consulting on chemical and mechanical engineering for your projects. Tanks, pressure vessels, piping, heat exchangers, HVAC equipment, chemical reactors for oil companies or manufacturing facilities, as well as project management support and troubleshooting for those implementing designs. MPV will get your industrial project up and running. Head over to mpvengineering.com. All right, guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, The Scott Horton Show. And uh, guess what? I got Sheldon Richmond on the line. He's about as libertarian as a man can be, trust me. His website is SheldonRichmond.com. Uh, of course, regular contributor at Antiwar.com as well. And I uh, love this article. We're going to be running it, I guess, tomorrow uh, or something. I don't know. Anyway, it's great. Uh, TGIF. The goal is freedom. That's what that stands for. You knew that, right? Uh, TGIF, the goal is freedom at SheldonRichmond.com. The Constitution and the Standing Army. Welcome back to the show. Sheldon, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Good to be with you. Good. And um, so listen, I love this thing. You say it just like I say it. Uh, for some reason here, that the Constitution was basically just the Patriot Act of 1787, based on the, <laughs> the pseudo-9-11 attack excuse of Daniel Shea's rebellion. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hedged it a little bit, calling it a proto-Patriot a proto uh, Patriot Act. Um, but no, it's true. I, what I was trying to point out there was that the national security was a concern of the, uh, the, the, the elite, the power elite of those days. Um, and it was because uh, libertarians have this idea that um, national security didn't become sort of this dominating matter until after World War II, right? With uh, Truman's 1947 uh, National Security Act, which set up the CIA and, and did a lot of bad things. Uh, but national security was on the minds of uh, of, of the rulers, the, the leaders from the very start, and, and empire was on their minds as well. First of all, they wanted to create an empire. A North American empire, uh, which meant clearing out uh, uh, the Indian nations, which were regarded as nations. So they had to conquer them first, kill them, move them 
remove them one way or another. Basically, treat uh, treat them the way the uh, Israelis treat the Palestinians. So uh, that's why I think you can liken the the Constitution to to a Patriot Act because they said, look, if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, make ourselves secure and expand, both geographically and uh, commercially, we're gonna need uh, an independent source of uh, revenue for the national government. Uh, in other words, the power to tax, which the uh, central government such as it was under the Articles of Confederation, did not have, and the power to raise an army directly rather than having to go to the states and ask them to mobilize the militia. Because a lot of times the, the states would say both to the requisitions for both money and men for the militia, they'd say, oh, no thanks, we're busy, we got other things to do, the check's in the mail, you know, one way or another they made an excuse. So Madison and Hamilton and others said, enough of this. The national government needs an independent way to raise an army and raise money. And, uh, and that's uh, why they came up with the Constitution. The anti-federalists complained. They made all kinds of arguments against it, some of them very good, and, but they lost. Uh, they lost uh, as, as far as the writing of the Constitution goes. Luckily, in terms of policy, uh, there were enough uh, anti-federalist types, they were called Republicans back then, strangely, uh, to uh, resist uh, uh, the major initiatives of the federalists so that federalists did not get their way, at least not fully. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting, uh, the famous Federalist Paper Number 10 by Madison about the mischief of factions and how you have to have separations of powers and checks and balances and all these things. So this is why we need this Constitution. The way it's taught, and I guess maybe it's legit both ways. I don't know. I'll let you say what you think about it. I don't really know. But the way it was taught to me was, you know, this is because they're trying to prevent, I guess, what we would think of as, you know, a right-wing, uh, top-down fascist tyranny where any part of the government becomes so powerful that they just end up lording it over everyone a standing army takes over something like that the leader of it um something like that and yet it also if if you read it carefully it seems to really be warning about revolution from below and saying that the way to prevent this mischief that anybody would ever try to take our power away from us that we already have would be to make sure that we don't have to rely on weak local state militias. Like in the case of Daniel Shea's rebellion, it, we had to throw together this ad hoc thing, but we need a permanent standing force to be able to put the people down. The, the whites, not just the Indians, but the whites who just finished winning the revolution for us. Yeah, the, you know, Madison uh, was not happy with the states. He didn't think the states were cooperative. He was in the Congress. He was in the Confederation Congress. And he was not happy that the states could uh, delay sending money or or resist or or not uh, call up the militia if it was uh, if the feds people in the federal government wanted it. Uh, and so the Constitution was des- designed to reign in the states. It's, uh, people sometimes think it was designed to re- protect the states, but uh, it wasn't at all. Uh, Madison actually wanted a, wanted a provision of the Constitution that would let the Congress strike down the Congress now strike down state laws. Now, he didn't get that. He also tried to get something like that into the uh, Bill of Rights, but he failed on that one, too. <clears throat> so he, you're right. He, he, it really The, the anti-federalists were right in, the, in that the Constitution turned what was a confederation into a consolidated, this is the term they used, into a consolidated government. And so that's why it was always ironic that the, the people that wanted a consolidated government seized the name federalist and call themselves federalists 
because that was a good word. People liked the idea of federalism. They liked the idea of a confederation. So the, the, in a great act of public relations, the Federalists grabbed that name mm-hmm. and, that le- and then called the other team the Anti-Federalists, although they were the true Federalists. Right. So Just the same way the, social, the Socialists stole liberal from the Libertarians. Yeah, it was one of those things. And I like the comment by El- Elbridge Gurry of, uh, of, uh, of Massachusetts at the ratifying convention in Massachusetts, who was an Anti-Federalist. You know, he said, we have these strange terms, Federalists and Anti-Federalists. Well, and he says they're not very descriptive. They're not, they're not accurate. What we really ought to be talking about are ratificationists and anti-ratificationists. But, but he said for short, let's call them the rats and the anti-rats. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. They, well, it was Patrick uh, Henry that said, I smell a rat when it came to this thing. Too. Oh, yeah. Well, well. Oh, okay, so one more thing here before the break then to address, um, and mm-hmm. more on the other side of it. But, you know, the way they teach this in school too is, you know, they had to have a, 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 na- a new national, a new general government. Otherwise, you're, there are constant trade wars between the states. You had to have this constitution was a free trade agreement with teeth to make sure that, you know, we wouldn't have that problem. So you're a libertarian, you must support that. Well, I think we talked about this the last time. Alexander Hamilton in uh, Federalist, uh, oh, I think it's 12, but I always get the number mixed up, says that if we could get this Constitution ratified, we could triple the tariffs. In other words, th- there was a sort of a race to the bottom. The states were maintaining low tariffs against European goods, but did not have tariffs against each other. That's a myth. So there was a free trade zone. The only exception to this was, and it was, it was very rare, uh, one state might charge a duty on European goods coming from another state. But that was not very common, and, and that was not—that's not what that, the, the, the contemporary argument you're talking about mm. uh, refers to. Uh, people want us to believe that every state maintained uh, trade barriers to every other state. That's false. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going—you know—my devil's advocate position here basically is my uh, community college, you know, civics education, basically, <laughs> you know, kicking up, trying to remember how it was that they taught it, why this is all so necessary. And that is the bottom line in all public education, is that, listen, everything that the government ever did, it was because they had to, okay? And, and even right. the stuff that contradicts the other stuff, as Ned Flanders right. might say. Well, the anti-federalists were, you know, they, and they differed, they didn't all agree on everything, but they, they were the libertarians of the day, which makes it odd that, that, con- that libertarian constitutionalists uh, take the position they do, they have to ignore the anti-federalists. The anti-federalists were against concentrated power. They weren't radical Democrats. They didn't want the state legislatures to be able to redistribute property. And, uh, although some of that stuff was going on, so some people favored it, but the, but certainly the activists, the most vocal anti-federalists, the ones that wrote their own anti-federalist papers, uh, were basically libertarians. They distrusted faraway power. And speaking of uh, federalist 10, See, the, the, the wisdom of the time came from Montesquieu, that a, that a republic needed to be a small territory, because otherwise you couldn't keep your eye on the government. It was far away, and, it, and uh, an elite would dominate it, and you wouldn't be able to watch it. So Madison comes along and says, no, that's not true. We can set up uh, checks and balances so we can have a big extended republic. He was the outlier, but he won. All right. Hold it right there. We'll be right back with the great Sheldon Richmond right after this. The Constitution and the Standing Army. Hey, Al Scott Horton here. It's always safe to say that one should keep at least some of your savings in precious metals as a hedge against inflation. 
And if this economy ever does heat back up and the banks start expanding credit, rising prices could make metals a very profitable bet. Since 1977, Robertson Roberts Brokerage, Inc. has been helping people buy and sell gold, silver, platinum, and palladium, and they do it well. They're fast, reliable, and trusted for more than 35 years. And they take Bitcoin. Call Robertson Roberts at 1-800-874-9760 or stop by rrbi.co. Hey, Al Scott here. If you've got a band, a business, a cause, or campaign, and you need stickers to help promote, check out TheBumperSticker.com at TheBumperSticker.com. They digitally print with solvent ink, so you get the photo quality results of digital with the strength and durability of old-style screen printing. I'm sure glad I sold TheBumperSticker.com to Rick back when. He's made a hell of a great company out of it, and there are thousands of satisfied customers who agree with me, too. Let TheBumperSticker.com help you get the word out. That's TheBumperSticker.com at TheBumperSticker.com. All right, guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton, and that's why I'm talking with Sheldon Richmond here on the show. The goal is freedom. The Constitution and the Standing Army is this great piece here. We'll be running it on antiwar.com, I guess, tomorrow. There we go. All right, um... So, yeah, man, the standing army. Now, that's really the thing of it. You mentioned the National Security Act of 1947. Um, and you know what? I really should have this memorized or on a post-it note somewhere or something. I, I could swear the language is something like, and the CIA shall also do other things from time to time as authorized by the president, which means <laughs> that they can break any law, murder anyone, do anything they want. Um, basically, and we can have that same kind of thing, uh, built, baked right into, uh, the constitution, it seems like. And again, back to my junior college education here, uh, Sheldon. Well, you know, some people were strict constructionists, but the broad constructionists won out. And they said, after all, it does say general welfare right there. And, uh, after all, it implies that they can take your land as long as they pay you for it. And it implies that the government has the right to suspend the writ of habeas corpus as long as there's a rebellion going on or whatever it is. And so there are all these giant loopholes in the constant constitution that they can drive Mack trucks straight through. And, you know, one of them, I guess it's not even cute language. It just says right there in Article one, Section eight, they can raise taxes and they can raise and support armies. And they can declare wars and use those armies for killing people with. And that's basically all the loophole you need. National Security Act of 47, notwithstanding. Yeah, the powers are very, very broad, and they're not few and defined. Uh, Madison says that in the Federalist Papers, but don't forget the, the Federalist Papers were, they were propaganda to sell the Constitution to the ratifying conventions. There was, there was opposition to the Constitution when it was proposed. And and the and uh, Madison and Hamilton and John Jay set out uh, mainly in New York to uh, argue on behalf of ratification. So it's propaganda. It was sales. I read that. I first read the 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 uh, Federalist Papers in a journalism class in college as great examples of persuasive rhetoric. Uh, that's how they were seen. Uh, the powers are very very broad, contrary to uh, to Madison. The, uh, in fact, I, I, my piece quotes three different Federalist papers, two by Hamilton, one by Madison, on how the, 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 the army, the powers of setting up an army and a navy, which they called a peace establishment, by the way, uh, had to be unlimited. They used the term, has to be unlimited, because 
we don't know what eventualities or what contingencies we're going to face. So we, of course, the powers have to be unlimited. It's right there. So I, I don't understand this argument that the powers were few and defined, or that the government could only do was it, uh, what was expressly allowed by the Constitution. That's just nonsense. Well, and there's really nothing in the Constitution that would limit the war power to defensive war either. As long as Congress declares it, go ahead and invade whoever you want, right? Legally uh, sure, speaking. Sure. Right. Look, you have you have the preamble that says, you know, the uh, the common defense and the but the general welfare is a, is a very broad term. So you could easily justify foreign intervention on behalf of the general welfare. And like I said, they believed they were surrounded by hostile powers who hated our republicanism and were going to crush us. That was Spain and England and the and the, and they believed Spain and England were helping the Indians, which I guess they were. And we wanted their we wanted the Indians land. So what are we to do? We're surrounded by hostility. What are we to do? This is what the Madison and Hamilton were arguing. And if and they said the Confederation is too weak because the, the individual state militias aren't equal to the task. And the taxing power which, uh, at the state level wasn't enough because the feds couldn't get their hands on enough money. So they needed these independent powers to tax and raise armies and regulate trade and push trade. And, uh, you know, negotiate with uh, foreign powers and to acquire territory and other kinds of concessions. And this this is a sounds like a pretty big government to me. Yeah. Well, and of course, they use that power within a generation to invade and conquer Mexico and then to have. And then that really caused the Civil War. The results of the Mexican War ended up causing the Civil War and the northern invasion of the South just one generation after that. So. Yeah, I guess it worked out great. Well, before we, before we get to that, we have the War of 1812. They wanted to conquer Canada. All right, yeah, it yeah. Was, it was not the first time they tried to conquer Canada. And and don't forget, the, who's president when the War of 1812 Madison. Uh, is launched? They Madison. called it Mr. Madison's War because it was such a vanity issue for him, huh? And the Republicans who had fought the Federalists in the Washington and uh, and, and Adams years fought the Federalists over, over uh, building up the military. Madison, uh, John, uh, Adams himself was a little reluctant. He was not as militarist as, as other, uh, as, as Hamilton and, uh, and, and, and Washington. But the, uh, the Republicans fought them, but then once they got in power, they became pro-military. So Jefferson was putting embargoes on different countries. He called it peaceful coercion. Uh, and then Madison goes to war against England. Uh, after Madison had issued, uh, some beautiful Warnings against war. Remember that famous quote about how it's the germ of all bad things? Mm -hmm. Slavery and, and jobbery and high taxes and debt. Beautiful quote, except he's the one who goes to war <laughs> as soon as, you know, when he gets in power. And then, uh, you know, the people that followed him, uh, Monroe and um, John Quincy Adams, uh, he's about to go to war with Spain. When, when Quincy Adams is Secretary of State under Monroe, he's trying to get all, he's trying to get land from Spain, the Floridas, and and a, and a whole swath of land to the uh, Pacific, and he's ready to go to war. He has a not so uh, you know veiled threat of war against Spain. The Spanish-American War might have occurred in uh, you know the 1820s, except that the Spain didn't want, want to go to war. They didn't feel well, I guess they felt they weren't going to uh, prevail anyway, and so they negotiated. But but Quincy Adams was ready to go to war. And you know what Quincy Adams did not like about the Constitution? He did not like that Congress had the power to de to declare war. He thought that should have been a, an executive prerogative. 
I love learning history from Sheldon Richmond, man. All right, guys, so here's the good news. Sheldon's going to stay one more segment with us, and we're going to take some phone calls. So if you guys want to start stacking them up, it's 512-271-4836, 512-271-4836. And you're reminding me of what Anthony Gregory said about just how tragic it is that so you had the whole federalist Whig Republican side. They're just the party of the northeastern corporatists, uh, you know, millionaires on welfare. And then you have, you know, what I don't know if you call it right or left or whatever, but you have the Democrats who are the more libertarian and decentralist of the bunch. And they're twice as militarist as all the industrialists. Uh, it's amazing they had the Civil War at all when they had so many Indians to kill and they had such a confluence of interests there that we'll wage the war that you guys will produce the equipment for and it'll be, we'll call it the American way. What's the problem here? I don't know. The amazing thing is that during the Civil War, they maintained, the, the, they kept up the war against the Indians, which that always flabbergasts me. You think they'd be kind of too busy that there would have been a break. In the war against yeah. the Indians. Well, then that's but how no. they healed all their old rifts, too. Like, yeah, sorry about uh, Reconstruction and everything. Let's all just go uh, butcher the last of the Indians together and let bygones <laughs> be bygones. All right, There's we're taking we phone calls. Un- There's we- something we can unite on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, it's the great Shelly Richmond taking calls. 512-271-4836. You are next. Hey, Al Scott here. The Ciceronian Society is an interdisciplinary group devoted to the timeless themes of place, tradition, and things divine. You are invited to their sixth annual conference to hear two days of papers on important thinkers, from Plato and St. Benedict to John Locke, Hayek, and Henry David Thoreau. The conference is March 10th through 12th in historic Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, less than two hours from D.C. and Baltimore. Register at CiceronianSociety.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. I'm Scott Horton. It's my show, Scott Horton Show. I got Sheldon Richmond on the line. And we're talking about the uh, terrible mistake that was the adoption of the U.S. Constitution. That's been at war pretty much nonstop since 1791. Especially lately, it seems like. Um, anyway, uh, but if you guys want to call in and uh, talk about what we're talking about here. The U.S. Constitution, the creation of the Standing Army. Got questions for Sheldon about this kind of thing. Uh, the number is 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. And there was a question here. Um, 50G in the chat room asked, uh, wanted me to ask you if you were familiar with this guy, Robert Yates, who apparently kept his own notes on the Constitutional Convention separate from Madison's. Uh, that maybe are a little bit more honest about what was really going on there. Sheldon, do you know about that? Yeah, I, I haven't not looked through Yates' notes. You're right. Some people other than Madison did, did keep notes. There were no official uh, minutes. Uh, and, of course, they locked the doors, right? The public was not allowed in during the, the several couple of months. Uh, and Madison, it's, it's, uh, it's reported or alleged that Madison, before publishing his notes or at least uh, releasing them to the public, uh, tampered with them. That he edited them. Uh, there's some stuff on that. Yates was was a I forget what white Yates was an anti-federalist who 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 wrote you know articles against the Constitution. But I forget his um you know they used na- pseudonyms they used pen names like Brutus and Sentinel. I forget which one Robert Yates was. Federal Farmer. They they had different names. They were keeping their uh, 
their identities uh, <laughs> secret. Uh, maybe they were afraid of retaliation. Yeah. All right. Now, um, uh, again, the number is 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. And, you know, I think, um, well, probably not with this audience, but overall you have a problem with the general audience making arguments like this because, uh, well, you're going after people's identity, basically. We're all, those of us who go to government schools, we're all raised to identify our own, you know, individual personality so closely with the state and its glorious history that, you know, okay, well, maybe Vietnam was a mistake or maybe Woodrow Wilson didn't make the very best call over the Zimmerman telegram or maybe, but... Anything wrong has basically got to be an exception. Okay, since World War II, things have really kind of gotten out of control, Sheldon. But, geez, before that, it was a peace-loving republic of justice and all uh, liberty and this and that. And then, But what you're doing is you're going all the way back down the list to the very beginning and before that and saying, nope. And so that's asking a lot of people, right? You're basically yeah. asking them to change how they feel about, you know, which in a very broad and deep way, how they feel about the place where they live. Yeah. No, it's true. We're all brought up with this folklore. When I was writing this stuff, I was warned by someone who said, um, look, all people need their fairy tales, their folklore, and, and so I ought to be careful. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I'm, I'm doing it. for. Uh, here's another reason I'm doing it. You know, when, when lo- young libertarians first in, uh, encounter uh, libertarian stuff and they decide this makes a lot of sense that yeah I'm a libertarian they're full of energy and they want to go out and talk to people especially if they're college, on college campuses they want to talk to fellow students but they also want to argue with their professors and uh, this will occur in uh, history classes too and if they are given false history or a very way oversimplified version of history they're going to get slaughtered when they start talking to students and faculty who know some history, they'll get slaughtered. And that could be a traumatic experience. Some of them may decide, eh, maybe this libertarianism stuff isn't right after all. Or, or even if they don't, uh, even if they still think it's right, they may say, eh, I'm, I'm just going to shut up about it because, you know, this is a, it's humiliating to be told I'm, I'm wrong. You know, what about the slaughtering of the Indians? Oh, wait a second. They slaughtered Indians. Uh, so we need to give young libertarians the, you know, the straight scoop on history so that they don't go to the slaughter. So they're better prepared. So there's that reason if there were no other reason. All right. So we got one caller on the line uh, and time for at least a couple. So uh, go ahead and call in, y'all, if you want. 512-271-4836. Talking with the great Sheldon Richmond. You are on the air. Hi, uh, Sheldon. This is uh, Balda from the chat room. Looking to the future of freedom... I'm wondering how we can break this cycle of revolutions and have a peaceful revolution so we don't have what happened in Philadelphia happens again. You know, the empire is gone, the new order is here, and the new order uh, contains the seeds of its own destruction. There's not even a reason for a rebel to fight against it, but we need to prepare to, to prevent the next order from coming up again out of the ashes. How can we do that? Good question. <laughs> wow. Wow, if I knew the answer to that... Uh... <laughs> I'd be able to afford Starbucks coffee. I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, you're talking about strategy, which is a very tricky thing because people are people. They're complex. They have a lot of things on their minds. They're busy. They don't have the uh, 
time to hear about theoretical arguments or even history. You know, I, I don't have a good answer to that. That's that's going to be an ongoing conversation. Uh, we we have to do the the best we can, which isn't much advice. Uh, but that's all I got. All right. Hey, thanks very <laughs> much for calling, man. All right, and we got one more here. Uh, hey, I'm Scott. You're on the air with Sheldon Richmond. Hey, Scott. Uh, this is uh, Cecil Lentz, Libertarian candidate for president. Oh, well, good to hear from you. Uh, you got a question hello. for Sheldon? Uh, yes, I do. Um, what is your um, opinion about the Federalist takeover during the Civil War after the um, uh, nullification and all that, everything that happened? Because you're talking about standing armies. The Union Army was dissolved, and the federal the federal uh, military took over. Well, yeah, that, um, I mean, I, I think uh, secession should have been allowed to have occurred, uh, simply because uh, I think it was you know uh, wrong for uh, Lincoln to to use violence to hold the Union together. Uh, that's my opinion. I think uh, I think the reason for secession for for Southerners was, or certainly the leading Southerners was uh, was immoral. They wanted to preserve slavery. That was their main reason. Uh, and uh, and uh, preserving, uh, destroying slavery was not obviously, as a lot of people know, was not Lincoln's main motive for holding it, to, holding uh, the Union together. He just wanted to hold the Union together. I think that was wrong. I think the way to fight slavery was uh, by, uh, uh, you know, by non-state means. And uh, after after secession occurred, so I so I don't agree with. You know, I don't agree with what the what the the union did after the war was over because I don't think they should have prosecuted the war uh, at all. Uh, but you know, things are very complicated, and I'm not a civil war expert. I refer I refer you to the best book I know on the Civil War, which is Jeffrey Rogers Hummel Hummel's uh, book, um, "Freeing Slaves and Emancipating uh, Free Men." Or, or sorry, emancipating slaves and enslaving free men. I highly recommend that book. It really is a great book. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks for calling uh, in. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you. All right. Good times. Um, yeah, man. So, uh, well, let's see. I guess um, well, that's it for the calls, and we're about out of time for this segment. But that was cool. Okay. We got two good ones. Hey, by the, by the way, Robert Yates uh, apparently was Brutus. So he was a very prominent anti-federalist writer. And you, and if you go to his Wikipedia page, you will find his, his notes, his uh, convention notes. So I'll, I'll, I will be taking a look at those. Oh, hey, here's another question for you in the chat room real quick. Can't call, mm-hmm. but can someone ask Sheldon a good place to begin learning about American history, particularly for homeschoolers? You got some good kind of independent um, avenues that you might point well, people to? Well, a very good book that I like and have learned a lot from is um, is uh, Gordon Wood. There's no S at the end of his name, so I'm saying possessive here. Gordon Woods, but it's W-O-O-D. His book... Um, the Radicalism of the American Revolution. Very good start. Cool. The Radicalism of the American Revolution by Wood. All right. Hey, thanks very much, Sheldon. I always like talking with you, man. You know that. Anytime. My pleasure. All right, Sheldon. That's the great Sheldon Richmond from antiwar.com and SheldonRichmond.com. Free Association, the Constitution, and the Standing Army. Really good stuff. We'll be right back. 
you hate government, one of them libertarian types, or maybe you just can't stand the president, gun grabbers, or warmongers. Me too. That's why I invented LibertyStickers.com. Well, Rick owns it now, and I didn't make up all of them, but still, if you're driving around and want to tell everyone else how wrong their politics are, there's only one place to go. LibertyStickers.com has got your bumper covered. Left, right, libertarian, empire, police, state, founders, quote, central banking. Yes, bumper stickers about central banking. Lots of them. And, well, everything that matters. LibertyStickers.com. Everyone else's stickers suck. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. I'm Scott Horton, wrapping up for the day here. That was cool. I like Sheldon Richmond. I wish I uh, had had a chance to really read this whole article before I got him on. It was a last-minute kind of a thing. But anyway, I like that stuff, man. That's good. Um, yeah, so... Uh, if anybody else wants to call in the show, man, we can still do calls for the last segment, if you want. Try to keep my eyeball peeled over there to the left. 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. So, uh, yeah, thanks again to Tom Woods for having me on his show yesterday. Uh, I don't think I really did that good of a job, man. I really wanted to try to say, okay, it's this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy against this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy, and here's why, and have it, you know, try to keep it tighter. And instead, I went and just told the whole damn story again and just... It's the kind of thing where you already got to know enough about this stuff to even know what I'm talking about. Kind of, I just, yeah, it wasn't good. I'm going to do it better next time. You know, I shouldn't have promised him that I'm going to try to summarize everything real short and simple and whatever, because that's pretty much the guarantee that that's not what's going to happen. I don't know how that works, but... Yeah. Anyway, it's a damn mess, but maybe you'll like it anyway. I don't know. I saw one comment on the YouTube of it that said, I just can't stand this guy's whiny voice. I had to turn it off. You know, I can sympathize with this guy. I agree with him. I try to listen to this show back sometimes for some, see if I can cut out some demo material or something like that, and I hate it. I don't know why you guys listen. <laughs> I don't know what's the matter with you, but I can't stand it. I mean, I agree with me about everything, because after all, I'm right about everything. So it's not that, but... Yeah, I don't like listening to my own voice either. Maybe nobody does. All right, well... So, um... Yeah, I'm bummed out that uh, Jonathan Marshall won't do my show. I think I must have pissed him off. Maybe it was my whiny tone of voice or something, I don't know. But um, he won't do my show no more. Which is too bad, because he writes great stuff, and I would like to ask him about it. He wrote one, I guess I don't have it up anymore. Here, do I? It was really good, though, about Kosovo. You know, the pilot program for so-called, you know, democratic, liberal, humanitarian intervention. And what an absolute disaster it was. A war based on a fake genocide that didn't happen. A hundred thousand men, women, and children have been killed. We have to stop it. Lie. Never happened. Never happened. You know, when they went looking for the mass graves, they found... Five, six thousand bodies, and they were fighting age males. Maybe some of them were, you know, prisoners who were executed, but they were not civilians in the village. At all. At all. Um, a hundred thousand civilians? 
being systematically murdered by the Serbs? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe anybody believed that. Bill Clinton's little victory lap after being acquitted in the Senate on his perjury and obstruction of justice charges. I urged him to bomb. Hillary Clinton bragged later. This is how they made up after Lewinsky. Well, she said, listen, if you'll bomb Serbia, then I guess we can be cool again. And um, and all they did was take the side, uh, based on a lie, they took the side of the Kosovo Liberation Army, who were more or less a bunch of Bin Ladenites, and including actual Bin Ladenites, actual associates of Osama. This is in 1999. And the KLA were just a bunch of murderous, you know, terrorist, civilian-killing, heroin dealer gangsters, basically. They're just, they're a cross, I guess, between jihadists and criminals. And, um, you know, their leader that America put in power there and guaranteed the independence, their leader was busted just running. He was, um, this stuff out of nightmares, man, the European Commission. Uh, found all this. You can watch documentaries all about it and everything about how they were stealing people's organs. They were kidnapped. The government of Kosovo that America put in power there in that war was kidnapping people and cutting their kidneys out and selling them on the market. Um, along with heroin and whatever else. Uh, just a bunch of ridiculous criminals. And also, you know, Democrats can get promotions, basically. This is how you sell aggressive war when you're a Democrat. Oh, we're going to save the people. And by the way, you should know that all of humanity was almost destroyed, certainly in the Northern Hemisphere, in that crappy little war for a bunch of Bin Ladenite terrorist gangsters in Kosovo over a fake Casas belly in 1999, because uh, Wesley Clark, General Wesley Clark, of the famous uh, neocons told me they're going to attack seven countries, Wesley Clark. He was the supreme allied commander of NATO at the time. And when Vladimir Putin sent, well, I guess it was, I think it was Putin, it was under Gorbachev, I mean uh, uh, Yeltsin, um, uh when he sent troops to the Pristina airport in Kosovo to occupy the airport, Wesley Clark ordered the British troops to attack them. And there was a British general named Sir Michael Jackson who told, yeah, okay, snicker for a second, okay, who told Wesley Clark, no, forget you, belay that order. I am not going to start World War Three for you. Any man under me tries to carry out the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO's orders, I'll have your ass, General Jackson said. And prevented Wesley Clark from getting us all killed. Which, you know, maybe it wouldn't have escalated into nuclear exchange, but it sure could have. Anyway, fun times. But, uh... My chat room's going, man, and I wasn't watching. Oh, is there a call? I think someone called in and I didn't answer it. Because I wasn't paying attention. Sorry about that. 
Uh, anybody else wants to call in? Uh, 512-271-4836. 512-271-4836. And, uh, yeah, what time is it? Okay. Another thing Jonathan Marshall has written is um, in consortiumnews.com, how the U.S. helps al-Qaeda in Yemen. We're their air force. That's how. In fact, oh, man. What did I do with it? I sent it to Jason Ditz. Oh, no, it wouldn't be on there anymore. Damn, where can I find that? You know what? He might have written it up. Let me check the news. Um, I had found this article yesterday where they're just bragging about it. They have the numbers of 3,000 sorties flown. Where's the Yemen section here? I have Jason's stories about Yemen. But it was... Um, it was our Air Force uh, press release bragging about helping the Saudis slaughter the Yemenis. I guess I don't see it on the front page of antiwar.com, but that doesn't mean it's not there, but I'm just scanning here. Um, oh, I should recommend this Brad Hoff piece. I'll do that in just a second. What time is it? Well, I don't have a second. All right, well... Uh, the point is, there was a piece that ran in the Military Times yesterday where they're just bragging, press release style, no shame, no irony whatsoever, about how they are have flown 3,000 missions, or maybe there was hundreds of missions, 3,000 planes refueled by American tankers, fueling up American-bought F-15s and F-16s, that the Saudis are using to slaughter the Yemenis. Now uh, now going on a year straight. And, um, you know, we had the, the renowned journalist. Uh, he's not an alternative media guy at all. He's a renowned reporter, Mark Perry, on the show, who, who said generals at the Pentagon told him, John McCain complains that we're flying as Iran's Air Force in Iraq. Well, that's true. But we're flying as Al-Qaeda's Air Force in Yemen. And if you go to news.antiwar.com and you click that Yemen button, you will see how we're literally flying cover for Al-Qaeda fighters on the ground there. And not in the way that the Washington Post tries to twist it about Assad and ISIS either, but really. And then check in the top headline, say, newly translated WikiLeaks Saudi cable overthrow Syrian regime but play nice with Russia by Brad Hoff. It's great. 